Hello, everyone, and welcome to Novel. This is your host, Caleb Linville. Today, I am excited to present the penultimate episode of When the Mountains Called, episode 10. That's right. There's only going to be one more story episode after this, and actually only one more commentary episode as well. So a lot of the episodes in the past have, I wouldn't necessarily call them action episodes, but they're, they've been filled with some form of excitement. And not that this one isn't exciting, but it's, it's a different tone. It's much more contemplative and relaxing, a little bit laid back, um, and I believe it's a great chance for the listener to do the same thing and think, reflect on the journey which Andrew has gone through since episode one, which was quite a while ago now, and where he's ended up. I hope you all really enjoy it. Novel is always looking for new, exciting, and thought-provoking stories to present on our podcast. If you have a story or a story idea that you would like to share with us for consideration for future seasons, please contact Novel at clinville at novelpodcast.net. That's C-L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E at novelpodcast.net. Or you can visit our website, novelpodcast.net, for more information. There is discomfort in reflection, and there is pain in remembering. But here in the valley, allow yourself to do both. Remember the good times, and the bad times, and reflect on them. Ponder them. Which moments brought me joy? Which moments, intense sadness? Where is there a connection? There is always a connection. Look at the river again, and its banks, and the memories lined up along them. Observe the memories and be reminded of them. But do not be afraid. They cannot hurt you. And do not be ashamed. It is life to remember these things, to remember the pain and joy. Do not forget one over the other. Balance, always. There must be balance. And here in this place of rest, you can find it. Do you remember that night in the hospital, that last night when the fireflies flew outside the cracked window and the breeze ruffled the remaining hairs that peeked out from under her cap? Moonlight shone through the curtains and rested on her face, and she was smiling. You were usually asked to leave by this time. But the nurses and the doctors knew that she... Well, they knew. And so they allowed you to stay. She asked you to sing to her. Do you remember that? Of course you do. How could you forget? Because your wife knew that you did not sing. And never before had she asked you to. In all the years you were married, she was always the one singing. She was gardening or hiking or lacing up her boots, even if she was just relaxing. If she wasn't open to smiling, she was closed lipped humming, making a melody so that you did not have to. But that last night in the hospital, she was very weak. 
even opening her mouth to smile was a straining effort. And so, even as she stared at you with fading blue eyes, saying nothing, you knew what she wanted. A song. Just one more song. And that you would sing it. You didn't know the words to many songs, and in that moment, staring at your wife's slowly closing lids and the shaky rise and fall of her chest, you couldn't remember a single song to save your life. Then, her eyes caught yours again, and she parted her mouth. The moonlight across her forehead glowed all the more, and you knew as she spoke that it would be the last thing she said to you. Three words, one every ten seconds, and difficult, from your heart, from your heart, from your heart. All she wanted to hear was whatever your heart could say, and in that moment, you wanted to sob, to howl at the moon, to flip the table next to her bed. So angry were you at the doctors for not doing enough, at her for being sick, and at yourself for not being a sufficient presence to make her well. But that's not the heart you wanted to share with your dying wife during her last night on Earth. So you didn't. You mustered up the last energy you had, the last words that you too would intentionally speak to another human being for a long, long time. Your melody was off, your voice quaked, and your words seemed so unimpressive to you. When your wife looked at you singing to her, with all the weight, the rest, the love in her eyes, you might have thought it was something otherworldly. I won't make you remember these words now. You don't have to. This here is enough. Piece by piece remember, and allow these memories to dance across your mind. They don't have to dwell there, but don't push them away. Not here, not in the valley of rest, even remembering this moment now. How do you feel? It is sorrow, but it is joy. Your last night with her, and how blessed you were to have that moment together. It might have been nothing extraordinary, except she and you made it so. And isn't that beautiful? Andrew opened his eyes to a blue sky, and he took a deep breath. His hands were pressed flat at his sides, palms cool against the lush green grass. Next to him, Mac breathed evenly his own eyes closed, and Andrew didn't have to wonder whom he was thinking about as the two of them rested and reflected in the valley. 
The sun was high in the sky, as it was when they had arrived, and so Andrew did not know how much time had passed. It could have been several hours, or thirty minutes, or a week. Amidst at least a thousand other people, men, women, children, various ages, but all here together, lying in the valley. Andrew had spent the last however long reflecting. He wasn't doing anything special, but as he lay there with his eyes closed, memories came to him. Some burst forth and exploded in his mind, while others trickled in on the breeze from the wind across the great river. There were some moments that were better than others. He much preferred watching Pearl and himself take a walk in the woods than watching himself sing to her in the hospital. But he didn't push any of them away. They came to him fluidly, one after the other, without distinction or precedence. He simply let them come. Whether they erupted in his mind, or whether they ebbed and flowed more gently. Some were flashes, and some seemed to last hours. Canning fruit, hiking along the base of the mountains, hunting for embroidery templates at the craft store in his town, visits to the hospital, collapsing on the floor while baking, the wooden spoon caked in batter clattering to the floor, rushing to the ER. Andrew remembered everything, the good, the bad, and the not-so-delicate. He wasn't the only one. All around him, as they rested, men, women, and children burst into laughter or dissolved into tears, each remembering their own sorrows, joys, and the intricate mixtures of the two. But all the while their faces were turned to the sun, light streaming across their cheeks and sheltering them in warmth. They were surrounded by the cushion of grass beneath, and reminded too by the coursing great river, and the presence of the valley girl, that there is sacrifice and rest, and that it too is deliberate and not without challenge. Andrew himself had been learning this as he wrestled with and rested in the memories that came to him. It was painful at first, like putting on a pair of shoes he hadn't worn in a long time, but as the soles of his memory were tested, they relaxed, and it became easier to recall the things he had pushed away for so long. There, in the valley, he was cleaning out the closet of his mind, pulling out dusty boots and dented trekking poles, piecing together a broken cribbage set and taking out, for the first time in 25 years, Pearl's old, unplayed mandolin. The latest memory that had surfaced, the one where he sang to Pearl in the late night hospital bed, this one was among the most painful. It was the beginning of both their deaths, but it was also a testament to her life and his love for her. And for that last reason, he couldn't hate it. It was hard, but he treasured it. And he thought that maybe, if he had to choose one of the memories that had visited him in the time in the valley thus far, a memory to play over and over in his mind, he would choose this one. Because it was difficult, but it was beautiful too. His last time with Pearl, he wouldn't give that up for anything. Andrew was not the man who assaulted the altruist, dwelling deeply in so much pain and hurt and anger that it boiled forth into destruction. And although there was respite eventually in even this, Andrew had never in his life 
before or after Pearl, allowed such raw emotion to rise in him. He had pushed it away. He was more like the forgetting man, or he had been, back in his home, believing everything was alright and not wrestling with the memories that offered so much. Pain, initially, yes, but also truth, and joy, and healing. I don't want to forget, he said softly, staring up into the sky. Nearby him, there was a rustle as the valley girl's skirt spread, just barely catching and stilling a rapid before it broke past her and into the calming waters that spread past the valley and into the forest beyond. Balance, Andrew thought to himself. Balance. Neither the forgetting man nor the altruist's companion offered complete wholeness. Moving on did not mean forgetting the past, or himself, and yet it did not mean dwelling in it either, allowing emotions, nostalgia, anger, grief to consume him. In a compromise of the two, there was a further truth. Moving on, Andrew thought to himself. Neither had to mean that he was leaving something behind. Mac, he said suddenly, turning his face from the sun and looking over at his friend. You once said that people journey here for a while and then decide to move on, or they decide to stay and move on. Hmm, said Mac, his eyes still closed. Well, I asked you if you had moved on, and you said yes, I think so. Hmm. Pressed Andrew, why are you still here? Mac opened one eye, and then closed it again. Because it's good to rest in the valley. Andrew made a noise. Yes, but you have before already, haven't you? And you said that after people have rested for a while, they move on. Mac didn't answer. And, said Andrew, feeling more annoying by the second, you said you thought that staying with the wildering people, but you didn't. You can stay and move on at the same time, but you choose not to stay with them. Why? Finally, Mac made a small noise, it might have been a chuckle, and rolled over on his side. Tosito, he said, but was smiling. You listen well. Did you know that? Yes. Why are you here, Mac? Mac sat up suddenly, his face obscuring the sun. But Andrew still had to shield his eyes. His friend's head blazed equally bright. Do you not yet know, Tosito, why I am here? Asked Mac, and his voice echoed across the grass. Even so, the others in the valley didn't seem to mind. Only the valley girl looked up from the water in which she sat, and catching Andrew's eyes, she smiled softly. No, whispered Andrew. I, I'm not sure I do, my friend. Mac grinned. My friend, I like that. His eyes, still a deep mossy green, made Andrew dizzy. He blinked. I am here to be a Macario, said Mac, and he sounded a thousand years old. A blessing. You have been, said Andrew quietly, more than you know. Mac bowed his head. That means a great deal to me, Tosito. Thank you. But, he added, there is something you do not know. Andrew sat up. What's that? He said, watching his friend's hands twist in his lap. For the first time since Andrew had met him, Mac looked almost nervous. Beside them, the great river surged, and a soft sigh blew across the water, 
The valley girl's head was bent, her blonde hair dipping further into the water as she arched her back to block the unfeeling current behind her. Andrew, said Mac, and the other man flinched at the use of his real name. I am the one who called you here. It was silent for a moment. The grasses swayed, but the water was quiet, and the wind was still, and the only sound that Andrew could hear was his own heart in his chest. What? he asked. You, you called me? His voice was hoarse. Yes, said Mac, looking down at his hands. I, I needed you to come, so I asked the mountains to call you. He glanced up into the distance, and Andrew followed his gaze. Across the valley, in the hazy distance, the towering peaks of the third mountain seemed to rumble. The third mountains? asked Andrew, and his heartbeat rose into his ears. Mac nodded. They agreed, because they knew that we could help each other. Andrew's skin prickled. Something seemed amiss. He let the words tumble from his mouth. Me? Help you? How? I haven't done anything. Mac looked at him, and then he smiled slightly. Perhaps you do not see how yet, but I promise you, Tosito, you have. You have helped me, and you will. And now I can go home again. What? said Andrew wildly. Go home? Back to the third mountain? But Mac, does that mean you're... He couldn't finish his thought. But Mac only smiled. Don't worry about the third mountains, Tosito. They called you in truth, and they knew what they were doing. The journey was yours, Tosito, for you alone. I can only hope it has blessed you as it has blessed me. Mac, I... sputtered Andrew, but I never found Pearl. Mac raised his eyebrows. Didn't you? Andrew collapsed back into the grass, but his mind was racing, and the rest seemed impossible now. Mac seemed to believe that he had found Pearl, but Andrew didn't understand. His wife was still gone. At least, after all this, he wasn't sure that she was here, like he'd originally thought and hoped. In his mind once more, Andrew saw the snowy peaks of the third mountains. She's there, isn't she? He whispered. Mac put a hand on Andrew's shoulder. Partly, yes, Tosito, in some form. But do you remember the last thing Sam said? Andrew racked his brain and the image of the tall, long-bearded man in a brown cloak swam into his mind. Against the popping fire, Sam's last words reverberated in the forefront of his memory. You brought her here, Sam had said, after he, Andrew, had shared a small story, one filled with joy and tinged with the sorrow that comes from a treasure being categorized as past. Sam had thanked him for sharing that joy, for sharing Pearl. The fire had burned blue, and the children had played more fervently, and the community had laughed louder, and the orb above Andrew's head had glowed brighter. And even as he left, Sam had thanked him. You brought her here. And in that moment, the weight of Sam's words and the truth they held settled in Andrew's heart. This whole time, climbing mountains, floating rivers, resting in valleys, Andrew hadn't been searching for Pearl. He had been unearthing her, all within the fantastic journey of searching for himself. And in finding himself, Andrew had retrieved his pearl, lost somewhere deep inside in memories and stories, a buried treasure, 
only needed to be spoken back to life. Words resurrect. His eyes were hot and wet. Keeping one hand on his heart, Andrew reached up the other one to dry his tears. But they kept coming, and pressing his face to the sun once more, Andrew let them come. Tosito, whispered Mac, his hand still on Andrew's shoulder. It is time for me to go. Go where? asked Andrew, opening his eyes. Mac swam in front of him, the outline of his body blurred by tears. Mac gestured to the third mountains. But Andrew took a deep breath. What about me? Mac smiled. That's for you to decide. Andrew stared at the horizon beyond the valley. He wanted so desperately to go with Mac, to find Pearl in bodily form. But something tugged at him, and he knew he could not. Not yet. What then? Back to the wildering people? To the last place he remembered being surged in deep, deep joy? In the first place in twenty-five years he had encountered Pearl, raw as it had been? His chest flooded with warmth. But he had found her again, in the stories that pulsed in his memory and in his heart. He had those, always. The wildering people had said, because he that was one too, a storyteller. His words mattered, Sam had said, when he chose to share them. Should he share them? With whom? Next to him, Mac's eyes glowed a brighter green. I have to go back home, said Andrew quietly. Mac's smile was dazzling. If you say so, Tosito. He stood up suddenly, and Andrew scrambled to his feet. Well then, said Mac. Well then, repeating Andrew, looking at his friend. I... In that moment, words seemed insufficient. I hope you find Julia. Mac closed his eyes and nodded once more. I have, Tosito. I have. He looked up against the third mountains. Oh, said Andrew, following Mac's gaze. Yes, I suppose so. Well then? Mac only smiled. A lump rose in Andrew's throat, and he hastily wiped his hand on his now heavily worn corduroy pants. Even in the days when he had interacted with people in any form, he had never been one for goodbyes. Er... He cleared his throat and tried again. When will I... When will I see you again? Max grin grew wider. Soon, I'm sure. Andrew nodded. Okay, do you think... Well, do you think you'll ever... Call me again? He shielded his eyes against his friend's ever-stretching smile. No, said Mac, and Andrew's heart dropped. But someone else will, Tosito, in time. And that will be the last. Okay. Mac reached out then, and clapping one tan weathered arm on Andrew's shoulder, pulled him into a hug. A breeze blew off the waves on the great river, but Andrew felt warm. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath. The valley smelled of goldenrod, and if he squinted, he might have thought these long swaying grasses were home to his own fields, his own garden, his own house. It would hurt to go back, but in his mind the house wasn't burning anymore. Perhaps it was ash now, 
having slowly crumbled in the flames that had licked at its own corners as it burned in Andrew's mind. But surely, it was at peace now, in whatever state it was in, and he had to go see. Mac pulled away then, and he held Andrew at arm's length, regarding him deeply. Andrew stared back, refusing to blink, even as Mac's eyes went from deep green to light yellow, brighter than the sun itself. Who are you, Mac? Andrew asked, his voice a whisper, the question pouring from him like water from the lip of Cascades Ridge. I am a Macario. I am here to be a blessing. Andrew finished for him, but he wasn't upset. Mac smiled again, if it were possible even wider, and his whole face was now aglow. Andrew's eyes burned and watered, and as much as he tried, he could not keep them open. He squeezed them shut, but the burning spread from behind his irises, down his neck, and to his arms, where Mac's fingerprints were surely burning holes in his shirt, ten little hot pads scorching his skin, until quite suddenly, they were not. Andrew opened his eyes again. Before him, the grasses still swayed, and the river still rumbled, and the people around him still rested, their faces serene in the midday sun. Mac, however, was nowhere in sight. In the distance, though, over the top of the third mountains, Andrew was sure he could see a sunbeam, a pillar of light jetting from a break in the clouds and down over the first of the great peaks making a hole in the haze and landing somewhere beyond the horizon. And over the faintest of breezes, there danced the sound of a young girl's bell-like laughter. Ignoring the yawning hole in his chest, Andrew turned to the great river, his eyes drifting over its white water and to where the valley girl knelt, skirts sprawled and hair dragging in the slowing current. He was unsurprised to find her looking at him. How do I get home? He asked her simply. And even as her hands lifted and parted the gentle swirling water in front of her, even as her voice spoke in his mind, Andrew found that his feet were already moving towards the banks with quiet certainty, carrying him exactly where he needed to go. Get in the river. The river is safe. Thank you for listening to Novel. I hope you enjoyed this segment of our story. Please consider liking, subscribing, and reviewing the show to help the show grow, and also so that you don't miss out on the newest episodes. Thanks. This episode was read by Jonathan Keener. Written by Shannon Baker. With hosting, production, and original music by Caleb Linville.